Giants. Welcome back, Giants fans, to the latest edition of the Big Blue UK and Ireland podcast, where we are now part of the full 10 yards network, lads. Uh, this week we are 100% British, but absolutely still 100% Giants. Uh, Kev's on nights this week, but he's kindly dialed in from work just to say hi. Hi, Kev. How are you doing, lads? Yeah, I just wanted to, on nights this week, uh, I know I've missed the last couple of episodes, I want to make sure I got on to say hello to everyone and... Uh, yeah, just that I'll be on a lot more going forward. Yeah, and I just want to say, like, I know this week we've had the ticket news, the single tickets went on sale. I know a lot of people missed out. And, then, you know, don't be too disheartened. Get yourself over to um, New York Giants Facebook page, UK. There's a ticket exchange over there. Get your name on the list if you haven't got tickets. I was lucky enough early on the week to, to, to get three extra tickets that I was able to pass on to, uh, some, um, to Patrick and some of the Giants fans in Wexford and Ireland. So, like, you know, just, you know, if you do have spare tickets, get yourself over there, you know, make sure they go to a good home. And it's going to be such a good weekend when it actually comes around. Absolutely. We want as many Giants fans there as possible because we know for sure there's going to be plenty of cheeseheads. So we want to even it out a bit, don't we? Yeah, exactly. I know uh, a lot of people think it will be like mostly uh, Packers fans, but I think, uh, you know, there'll be a good mix and you know, we might even see a wee bit more blue than, uh, than the green and gold. Bloody hope so. Bloody hope so. But yeah, good to see you, Kev. Um, obviously, yeah, you got what you got work to do. You got a night shift to do. So uh, enjoy your shift, and um, we'll catch up soon with you, no doubt. Fantastic. Uh, love the podcast last week, lads. I'm looking forward to listening to this one back. Right. Take care to you, and take care of everyone else. All right. Yeah, that buddy. So it's Dan, Shane, and Craig back with you to continue our roster breakdown as the vets turned up to camp today, as it kicks off tomorrow. Um, and plus, we're going to finish off the offense with tight ends and the offensive line being the focus for today. Guys, how are we doing? Exciting for camp? Yeah, it's, it's that stage now where things just like slowly start to ramp up a little bit. Obviously, attending camp, then before we know it's going to be pre-season, and then before we know the season's going to be here. So things are just like slowly start to creep up on us now. Uh, it's just going to be good to like get some football back, get some news coming in and out of uh, of, the, of the camp, see what's going on, how players are doing, etc. So, yeah, starting to get a little bit more interesting now and ramping up. I've never been happier to see people on Twitter tweeting about roster moves. It's really sad, isn't it? But it's been away for so long and it almost feels like the lull between OTAs and now was longer than the lull between Super Bowl and OTAs and all the, you know, the ramp up of, of everything to do with the draft. So, it's nice to finally get somewhere. It's like another check in the box just to get us through to actually getting some, some football on the field. Yeah, man. Two weeks on Thursday, I think, is our first preseason game. Um, so not long to go until we see the uh, Giants taking on the Patriots at uh, Gillette Stadium on the 11th of August. And between now and then, we've got two weeks of camp to look forward to. Um, like I said, from the vets turning up today, um, to camp starting tomorrow and we've got plenty to sink our teeth into uh, and also carrying on from last week we're going to announce um, which tight ends and offensive linemen complete the offense in our team of the 21st century as well that's coming up for you later now as some of you will have noticed uh, we've decided to revamp our logo and other imagery since we announced on friday last week uh, that we are now part of the full 10 yards football network uh, the full 10 yards network aims to bring together british-based podcasts of all 32 teams we were delighted to be announced as the first and then following after us shortly were the Believeland brits podcast who are fans of the cleveland browns um so yeah we are now part of that full 10 yards network it's a huge step for us here on the big blue uk and ireland podcast and we are really really excited about what the future holds for us aren't we lads yeah, definitely. Huge shout-outs then for organising the uh, the new logos. We had discussed, obviously, 
about uh, potentially updating, revamping our logos. So it was something that's been in the works for um for a couple of months now. I think was it not long after the draft when we first spoke about doing that, and we wanted to get it in for the start of the joint's new season. So uh, massive thanks to the lads over there for designing. It. Kind of got like a, a logo for everything. Now we've got a logo for podcasts, for banners, for Twitter. So yeah, and hopefully those logos might be making their way to other items coming soon. Ooh, other <laughs> things coming soon, eh? Ooh, wonder what they could be. <laughs> but now, Craig, for, for ten yards. Um, obviously, you, you're you're a contributor for those for the, like the guys over there as well. Tell our listeners about a little bit more about what they do as well. Yeah, so I have a a good relationship with a few of the guys already over there. Uh, I'm part of their WhatsApp group, having little chats. Uh, we have little talks about NFL and goings on and back and forth about different news items. They're all really accommodating. Everyone I've spoken to is really nice. I just want to give a shout out to Josh. He's the main man over there. He helped do the logo redesign. He's got a couple other things in the works for us. I don't know if you've been to full10yards.co.uk slash giants, but that is our page. And we also have the branding on there that he's done. And there'll be some articles going up there soon as well. I'm working on a few different pieces at the moment and the lads are helping me here. So it is looking bright. I'm really looking forward to the future and, and seeing where we can take this. Absolutely. The future's bright. The future's blue. Get in. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and no, I'm really looking forward to uh, being part of this network and uh, and seeing how much further this podcast can go. Um, for what started off as, as a sort of little, just a bit of a hobby really. Um, it's now kind of grown into a passion. Um, not just for myself, but I know for for you guys as well. It's a, it's a passion of ours now, and we uh, we absolutely love doing it. So the future is looking bright for us, that's for sure. The team announced some roster moves today: Henry Black, uh, Jabari Ellis, and Travis Toivonen. That's Travis Toivonen uh, being released, and also Maurice Kennedy having his contract terminated, and also some breaking news: Sterling Shepard, Nick Gates, Matt Pert, and Dan Bellinger have been designated to the physically unable to perform list for the start of camp. And Aziz Ojolari is on the non-football injury list uh, with a hamstring injury as well. Uh, that's coming out of Giants camp around half an hour ago. So the roster moves that are made today were to make way for some players coming in. So former Giants safety Andrew Adams returns to the team. Uh, wide receiver Marcus Kemp, offensive tackle Kamal Seymour and defensive end Nick Williams. Andrew Adams was previously with the team as an undrafted rookie in 2016 and 2017. Played in 30 regular season games and one postseason game as well. He then later signed with Tampa Bay and was part of the Super Bowl 55 winning team and was back with them last year as well. He also had brief stints with Detroit and Philadelphia and he brings some much needed experience into the defensive backfield. His career numbers so far in 87 games he recorded 175 tackles, 7 interceptions and 23 passes deflected. What do you guys make of Andrew Adams' addition to the team? I just remember him from Madden. <laughs> I think I had Madden 16 and he was on there. And I'm sure he was like kind of an half-decent half player on Madden. Um, so when I seen his name, I was like, oh, I know that name. What, where'd one know that name from? And then it kind of like all, all clicked into place when I seen that he was a, an ex-Giants player. So yeah, you know, it's um, he's bringing in a little bit more safety depth and I think that's kind of all it is. I'm not going to get like too hung up on players we bring in uh, until we start getting like kind of reports out of training camp. If, you know, if it starts turning out he's taking snaps with the twos and, and whatnot, then yeah, there might be something to talk about there. Um, but other than that, I'm not, not too fussed about it. It was one of those positional groups that needed a bit more of something, a bit more depth in there. It was pretty thin on the ground outside of Love and McKinney. I don't really think there was anyone 
that was a real standout player there. I know Belton has obviously been brought in. Yusuf Corker as well. He's Mark I am really keen to watch this this off season. Well this off season, this preseason, sorry. Yeah. So it's a it's another body in there, isn't it? We we've said before on this pod that we thought that safety looked thin. So we'll see we'll see how, how Adams does. Obviously if he was at the Bucks for four years, he's now got a bit more experience than what he had the last time we we saw him. So let's watch this space. Yeah, definitely. And obviously to be on a, a Super Bowl winning team as well, he must be all right at least for him to have been on that team. So he must have been must have been good enough to be there. So hopefully he's, uh, he adds some much needed depth in the defensive backfield. Veteran defensive end Nick Williams was added as well. And the most experienced player amongst the newcomers in his 10th year, selected in the 7th round in 2013 by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, he's been with Kansas City, Miami, Chicago, and lastly spent the last two years in Detroit. He's had 105 career tackles with seven and a half sacks and two fumble recoveries, with 12 of those tackles for a loss. Does he have a chance of making the 53 come the end of camp? Or is again, do you think he's a camp body just as some depth? I think he's just, just, again, just a camp body, some depth. Have a look at him. Uh, if he offers something great, if he does a nothing gain, nothing lost kind of thing. You know, I, I don't, I, I think the, the key things I'm going to be interested to see, like sort of at the end of pre season when teams have to start making cuts, etc. Obviously, we were able to pick up someone like Quincy Roche, who has done a lot more for me in one season than old Shane Zimenez has done. Um, so, you know, that's the kind of players I'm going to be interested to see that we pick up once all camp cuts have been made, etc. Yeah, he's a he's a depth piece, isn't he? Where we again need a few more bodies. It, that's all this is, isn't it? There's it's it's gaining bodies to see if the pieces fit. I think that's one of the things you're going to get with a new GM and a new head coach is they've got no ties to any any player that has previously existed under the re- regime. So there's nothing that says they can't just go out pick some people. See if someone falls into place. There's always bound to be one or two surprises every year, and you never know who might potentially end up winding up with a roster spot. Yeah, and obviously with him being a defensive end as well, or him playing, that's where his position amongst all, on all the teams he's played for. The size he's at, he might sort of be that little bit of help at that sort of nose tackle position. Let's see how he does, I suppose, at it during camp, and uh, he could just be that added experience on that line that they they want to bring in for camp to help the the young guys really um it could just be one of those things he's in for camp and nothing else but it could be it could lead to more i suppose but there's not really any expectations for him to be there anything after training camp i don't think lastly we've got marcus kemp and kamal seymour so marcus kemp comes to us from the kansas city chiefs and uh, he's an undrafted free agent from Hawaii. He played in 44 regular season games and eight postseason games, and he has four receptions for 42 yards. Uh, he missed the whole of the 2019 season with a torn ACL and MCL, so he's got previous injury problems. Um, that's a pretty big one to have, but he's also made a recovery since then. And Kamal Seymour, Brooklyn native in his third season in the league and spent the entire 2020 season on the Raiders practice squad. And last year suffered an Achilles tendon injury in, in spring camp and was in on injured reserve for the rest of the year. He's not had any team experience, not played in any games and initially went undrafted out of Rutgers as well. So again, camp bodies, guys, I think. Yeah, Seymour's a big boy though, isn't he? Six six three nineteen. That is uh, a unit, uh, which we seem to have a few of them at offensive tackle at the moment. Yeah, big unit, just like me. Hog mollies. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I don't. I don't think anything more than uh, than camp bodies, unless we see something spectacular from him over the next few weeks. 
Uh, and moving on from that, uh, single game tickets for the London Series games went on sale today, this morning. Uh, and at one point, there was almost 300,000 people in the queue just to get onto the website. The demand for tickets for the Giants-Packers game was always going to be huge, uh, with the Green Bay Packers the last of the 32 franchises to play in London. But hopefully we'll see as many of our listeners there as possible, and we've already got our tickets for the game. So uh, we're looking forward to seeing loads of people there. But congrats to those that did get a ticket today. Uh, for those that didn't, I'm sure um, there will be plenty more opportunities to grab one as we get closer to the 9th of October. As Kev said earlier, with the ticket exchange on Facebook on the uh, Giants UK fan page, get involved in that and uh, let the guys there know what you need or what you want. And uh, well, those guys will do their best to try and get you a ticket. So it's not the end of the road just yet. We've, um, and there'll be plenty more tickets going on sale between now and then for sure. Team returns will come usually September time. Um, so there's, there's there's more opportunities yet. So it's not the end of the road. Uh, you were on the website this morning, Craig, for the, to get tickets for the uh, Saints-Vikings game. Uh, how long did you wait? I waited 10 minutes because I was trying to get onto the site to add payment details, thinking that would be easier. And miraculously ended up not being kicked out at half past nine. And there were 3,000 people in front of me. So I think that just shows, though, how poorly organised it was by NFL UK and Ticketmaster. Because I did have it on my phone, ready to reload at half past nine. When I reloaded at half past nine, there was like 100,000 people in the queue. And I just feel sorry for some people because there will have been people who've just left it open. The NFL have sent out distinct instructions on what's going to happen and how it's going to work. Apparently, this isn't the first time this happened. It happened last year, speaking to some fans today on Twitter. So I guess in one sense, we're not surprised by it. But in another sense, I do feel bad for some people who were, you know, trying to follow the rules as as it was you know, stated. Yeah, don't join the queue before half nine. Yeah, at half past nine, there's 100,000 people already in the queue. Yeah, it was, it was the same. I had the same issue last year as well. So I got tickets for the Dolphins-Jags game. And it was exactly the same as well. I, I chanced it at 20 past nine to see whether he'd let me think he's going to turn around and say, no, come back at half nine. And I think I was like 26,000 in the queue. And I was like, it's 20 past nine. So, you know, it's, it's they're obviously not learning from their mistakes. And, you know, as, 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 much, as much as the great stuff that I do do in regards to like bringing it over here and increasing the popularity in here, Ticket sales are an absolute shambles, and it's something they need to sort of address. I think maybe what they should do is they should look to the British fan clubs or set of the teams that are playing. So, for instance, like you know, obviously we've got our, our our fan group. Like, look to us and say, like, right, how many of you guys want tickets? And actually, give us an allocation of of so many tickets. Every NFL team has a has a British fan group, like a, a British fan club. Surely, there's no doubt you're gonna people are going on. Um... Is it stub stubble busy or wire golfer? Yeah, and paying through the nose for a ticket. Yeah, so like I know a mate who was after tickets last a couple of weeks ago for the Hawks game in Germany. Um and I think there's like 120 euro tickets being sold for nearly four figures at the mini time via Golgo. And it's like, you know, it just takes away from the real fans viewing it you know i understand uh, people want to make money that I, I, I can kind of understand it i don't condone it but i can understand you know if, if someone's going to offer me 800 quid for my 100 quid ticket yeah okay i'm going to accept it but i just don't agree with it principally and like, like you say you know if there's a way around where that could maybe link in with you know the the, the uk official uk groups of, of, of giants of 
Packers, Seahawks, Jags, etc., to kind of make sure that those tickets are going to the actual fans and not for people that are trying to make a quick book. So, you know, if you want to make a quick book, there's other ways to that in this world. But, you know, you've got genuine fans that, you know, haven't seen the team before. Um, it just takes away from from their experience, from their, their opportunity. Yeah, massively. You know, I've, I've seen so many Twitter posts today of, of people that were unable to get tickets, never been to a game before. They want it to be a fir- their first Giants game and unable to get a ticket because there's no doubt thousands of ticket touts in that queue before them going to snap up all the tickets they can and sell them all for three times the price. I think it's just, I think it's a disgrace. And I think Ticketmaster, and, and not just that, but the NFL UK really need to look at how they sell the tickets each year and, and who they sell them to as well. It's just it's just bad, isn't it? It's just poorly managed and it's poorly run. But then what can you do? There's plenty of groups out there that that could link in with as well. So like... I don't, I don't want to use these as an example. Like, say, for instance, the Irish NFL lads, they've obviously got connections with the NFL. They could say to them, look, who are the genuine fan, fan groups of, of, of the fans? Oh, yeah, the UK Giants on Facebook. That That's the genuine Giants one. Okay, brilliant. We can reach out to them then. So you need, there's people that can speak to if, if, they can't, if they're too lazy to do their own research by going on Google or something. They've obviously gone out there to promote the game and they want to grow the game. They've done that. They're, the fan base over here is massive now and the popularity of it grows year on year. There's been an explosion. The amount of games we have over here, the amount of opportunities we have, the amount of Super Bowl parties that go on in places, not just in London, but all over the UK and in Ireland. It's massive and they've, they're going to have to at some point reach a crossroads of where People are going to start turning against them if they they can't try and do things for the fans that they've worked so hard to try and get. Exactly, like I said, like they should directly contact like the fans of each team, whether it's through a fan club or fan group, first before they before they put them on general sale. So that means like the fans for those teams can at least have the chance to get a ticket first before everyone else comes in, and there's a. You know, Game of Thrones style bloody situation going on. And I just think it's it's there's so there's so many better ways they could do it than they do it at the moment. So if if you got a ticket today, congrats to you. Um, unfortunately, I think they're mostly sold out now, unless you sort of check with those resale sites. But like I said, there there will be other opportunities coming up to get a ticket. So all is not lost yet. Just as well, if people are looking at like not buying off official sites, but maybe off Facebook groups, etc. whether it be the UK Giants or other NFL ones, just make sure you're protecting yourself. Don't get sending money over until like there's kind of some agreements in place. Uh, I'm not in a position to say what agreements should be done, but just be extra careful that you're not going to get ripped off and not have a ticket and not have money as well. Absolutely, yeah. I couldn't agree with you more on that, Shane. Uh, yeah, there was, there's, a, there's a couple of groups on Facebook with the uh, ticket exchange groups going on, so uh, check them out. But obviously protect yourself and, and cover yourself before you want to make sure you've got proof that you've got that ticket before you send the money or anything like that you don't want to just send the money and hope to get the ticket and then find out actually this person never had the ticket in the first place and they just scammed you out of hundreds of pounds um so cover yourself and make sure you're safe online lastly to round out the news we just want to give a big shout out to our new followers on twitter uh, we really appreciate the love and we hope you enjoy listening to the only giants podcast this side of the atlantic so Today we've had uh, 20 new followers, which is, I think, almost a record in one day. Apart from the draft, I think it is. Yeah, so a, a big shout out to you guys. Uh, we've got Jay, we've got Dermot Boyle, we've got Pablo, Wendy C, Chris, uh, Dave Smith, Andrew, I can't, apologies if I ruin the surname, Andrew McLagan, uh, Neil Taylor, TK, I'm guessing it's Tom Kelly, uh, Dan Chapman, 
Mikey, Jordan Martin, Tom Farrell, uh, Squareback, Matt, Sean Seavright, Simon, John Gerard Malloy, Welsh NFL group, Graham Wilson and Stuart Brown. Massive shout out to you guys for following uh, and we hope you enjoy listening to us. Keep those follows coming, spread the word, do your bit for us on Twitter. Uh, we love the interaction and everything we get on there. Absolutely. We've had some really good interaction today. A lot of people having little chats with me. I know some people are going to be disappointed at not getting tickets, but thanks for all the banter and the laughs you've been giving me today. So, uh, yeah, let's carry that on. Sat at home today on my day off and uh, when my phone's pinging up left, right and centre going crazy, it's all the Twitter notifications going off. So, uh, not that I wasn't complaining. It's, it's, it's great to see that interaction. Carrying on from last week, uh, we're going to continue to break down our complete roster uh, as we head into training camp. And first up this week is the turn of our tight ends. Uh, which is a shame that Kev's not here because obviously tight end is sort of his favourite position. But we're going to crack on regardless anyway. Now for the first time since 2016, our tight end depth chart doesn't include the name of Evan Engram. The second tight end selected in the 2017 draft uh, out of Eli Manning's alma mater Ole Miss. He started his time with Big Blue uh, with a stellar rookie year and and grabbing six touchdowns over that year and over 700 yards receiving. And in that year, did you know, lads, he set 20, yes, that's 20 franchise records in the first two in the first two years of his career with Giants. He set 20 franchise records. How many of them was records for passes dropped? <laughs> None, surprisingly <laughs> enough. <laughs> So, include in those tw- in those first two years, he set twenty franchise records, including most touchdowns by a rookie tight end, uh, and most games with four plus receptions by a tight end in his first two seasons. Uh, and he set seven league records as well, including most consecutive games with four plus receptions, fifty plus yards, and one plus touchdown by a rookie tight end. So the start of his career was looking rosy. However, his production tailed off. And he ended up getting a sort of butterfingers uh, and ended last year with just 408 receiving yards and three touchdowns as his time at MetLife Stadium came to an end and he signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's then left a hole in our in our depth chart on tight end that needed to be filled. So the first name to fill that hole was Ricky Seals-Jones. He signed a one-year, $1.2 million contract with the team in March. And incidentally, he's cousin of the Hall, um, Hall of Fame running back Eric Dickerson. Did you know that? Nope. There you go. You learn something every day. So far in his career, he's caught 90 passes for 1,044 yards and 10 touchdowns. His best year was 2018 when he had 34 catches and he had 30 for Washington last season where he started a career-high six games. Ricky Seals-Jones, guys, what do we think? I don't, he's one of them. I feel like he always seems to do well against us. I feel like there's loads of players that do that. They seem to do well against us and nobody else. Like I remember, he, was it last year? I think he had the touchdown, the game-winning touchdown on Dory Jackson, I want to say it was, in week three, week four. Yeah, I think so. Something like that, wasn't it? Something like that, yeah. And it's just one of them where, like, you know full well, he's probably not going to ever have a game-winning touchdown for us, but because he did it against us. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because, obviously, he's the, he's the most experienced of the group. Um, that's where our experience is coming from. And yet, kind of some of the talks that are coming out of, like, OTAs, etc., was... Maybe he's not, he might not even be looking for a roster spot. You know, some, some of the other guys who we'll talk about shortly have been taking quite a few reps and looking promising, etc. So it's going to be interesting to see whether, like, you know, he's going to be, he's probably going to make the 53, but it's going to be interesting whether he's tight end one, two or three on that roster. He's obviously a big vet. However, I know there's chatter of whether this turns into anything, but yesterday we worked out Eric Ebron, who... To me, 
would be a much bigger draw than Ricky Seals-Jones. I know Ebron's had an up and down career, the same as what Engram has, but he does, he has probably caught more touchdowns and more passes than Engram potentially. So I don't think there's been any news on whether Ebron was just a workout and with any, if anything will come into it. But I think if, if he was to sign, that could put Seals-Jones potentially at risk. I would much rather have Eric Ebron as tight end one than Ricky Seals-Jones. Don't get me wrong, like he's he's had some success, Ricky Seals-Jones. Like you said, like he always seems to do well against us. You know, obviously started off in Arizona, went to Cleveland, Kansas City, and obviously the last uh, last year ended up with a with a Washington football team. But end of the year on injured reserve, I don't know what to make of him. Like I, he's 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 got experience, but at the same time, is he that tight end one that we really need? I'm not too sure. No, I mean, look, he's only on a one year deal anyway. I'm just looking at his contract now. One year, vet minimum. Yeah, vet, vet minimum, pretty much. Dead cap, three hundred fifty two grand. So. No, it's not like we're giving him a contract where he's going to be a lock-in. I think we're going to find that with a lot of these players that we're going to be talking about last week, this week, and in the weeks to come, in the fact that we've signed so many players to vet minimum deals, and they are very team-friendly deals with low cut numbers. So I don't really think you can say any of these players that we've signed are, are, are safe on these vet minimum deals. No, I agree. Um you know, come the end of camp, he might he might be waving bye bye. Like I said, if if the the story about Eric Ebron has any weight to it, like I said, I'd much rather see him in uh, in in the tight end one spot than uh, Ricky Seals Jones. I think. Next up on the list, we've got Jordan Aikens, former third round pick out of UCF. He played the first four years of his career with the Houston Texans, and again, he signed a one year deal with the team in April. So his career stats so far. Uh, 114 receptions for 1,260 yards, only three touchdowns. And he caught 114 passes in 58 games over four seasons, but the Texans chose not to offer him a contract once his rookie deal expired. Jordan Aikens, again, like I've seen like little things about him. I've seen like the odd game here or there that he's, done, he's played well, but he's never been that sort of star tight end. Never sort of been that go-to, I suppose, tight end. And I know, obviously, the Houston Texans have had their issues recently regarding, you know, their results and their record. But, again, he brings a bit of experience to the team, I suppose. What do you make of Aikens? Yeah, I mean, it, again, it's one of them where, um, if, we, if we looked at it, so if we look at what Dable running in Buffalo, tight end wasn't really a, a key part of his system that he ran. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they've got Dawson Knox, who I I think I want to say he was a third round pick off the top of my head, who started to come on a little bit. But it was kind of a case of they drafted a tight end, sort of middle range, and then they've kind of gone on to develop him. However, we've also got Mike Kafka, who comes from KC, where they did utilise tight ends. Now, okay, you've probably got one of the best, if not the best tight ends in the game currently in Travis Kelsey there. So maybe that's why you utilised it. But I just got kind of got a feeling with the tight ends that we've got on our roster at the minute, we're not really going to look at utilising tight end's not going to be the go-to target kind of thing. You know, I, I think it's a case of sometimes a tight end can be a, a quarterback's friend. You know, if there's nothing open, tight end, throw it to him. But I think we might switch that and Saquon is going to be the tight end, the quarterback's friend. And, you know, if there's nothing on, just a dump off to Saquon, get three yards and maybe playing it that way. Yeah, true. Yeah, absolutely. I think it says a lot when you're not activating a fifth-year option on a player 
they come to the end of that fourth year where they know that they need to prove something because they don't have the safety net of the fifth year option and you get released. You know, there's there's got to be something now. I was just having a quick look at the other tight ends that caught passes last year um, for the Texans um, and he was up against Pharaoh Brown, Anthony Auclair and Brevin Jordan, which I'm going to be honest with you for somebody who plays Madden and watches the games, especially on Red Zone, they, they don't exactly jump off the page at me. If they're going to be the tight ends that are playing more games and getting more snaps and Aikens, what does that say? I think it says a lot. Um, you know, he's got he's got that experience. He's been in the league for, what, four years. Um, you know, he's, he's caught a, a fair few passes, but then you've got to look at Houston's offence overall in total over the last four years, and you've got to wonder... Have most of them passes come as a result of having next to no options at receiver? We'll see. We'll see what Aikens brings, and uh, you know he's on that again. He's only on that one-year deal, so I suppose there's uh, little to lose if we uh, do end up getting rid of him. Dan Bellinger, I think, is uh, the most exciting name on that list in uh, tight end. He may currently occupy the number three slot on our depth chart, but there's obviously a lot of hype about him. Fourth round pick in this year's draft, he's beginning to look like one of the steals of the draft, and he features in our producer Craig's article on the Full 10 Yards website, which if you haven't read already, I fully recommend having a read. He caught 68 passes in 31 career games at San Diego State, and after watching Evan Engram drop far too many balls in New York over the last five years, he didn't drop a single pass, and he had a 4.2% drop rate for his entire collegiate career. Dan Bellinger is looking like the real deal, but unfortunately, obviously, he's currently on the pup list, which is a shame because we won't get to see too much room at the beginning of camp. What do we make of Bellinger, guys? Yeah, I really like. I mean, I like the pick at the time. In all honesty, he's one of the ones who's like kind of. He's probably the the most exciting, not exciting, the most curious player that we drafted on the offensive side of the ball for me. I know a lot of people will look at someone like Wondell Robinson, but for me, I'm just curious how we were actually gonna use Bellinger and how we were gonna like. Bring him in, and uh, you know, I think um, in OTAs, I think he's probably maybe in surpri- surprise the coaching staff, and he's proved a lot more reliable, maybe even what they thought he was, and maybe that's why they ended up um, pushing him forward a little bit more in OTAs. And I think he was getting some decent work with the ones and that. Um, so you know, it's, it is a real shame. I am actually good for him that he's not going to be able to start off training camp the way he would have liked. But you know, um, as we've seen many a times with Giants players in the last couple of years, you know injuries always seem to happen so the key thing is protecting him properly looking after him properly and making sure he's 100% fit when he comes back he can hopefully he can hit the ground running I think it says a lot when the fan base was really upset to see that he was the first person to not go down but you know to, to, to have it revealed that he was going to be on the pup list before camp really got going uh, there was a lot of people who I think there's going to be a lot of expectation because of what pe- people's expectation of him is. But what Shane was saying about the coaches is right. And I'm actually going to steal a little bit from my own article without you know patting myself on the back. But mainly because it's a really good quote from tight end coach Andy Bischoff in which he says, he's one of those rare guys today that can actually do it all. He can block, he can protect. And that's what we want him to do is we want to get him open against man coverage because he can do all of those things and he was woefully underutilized as a catcher in college but still you know had his 4.2 percent drop rate which is absolutely phenomenal so I, I cannot wait to hopefully see him fit and healthy 
and then on the football pitch catching passes from BJ. Yeah, man, the fact that he didn't drop a single pass all of last season in in, in college is uh, is huge, and I think that's we need we've needed that stability at Titan for a little while. Obviously, with with Engram not being what he could have been. Um, like I said, over the sort of first couple of years of his career, he had a st- he had sort of a couple of good years, and then he sort of tailed off towards the end. So, I'm excited for Bellinger. Obviously, it's, it's, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of hype about him. There's a lot of excitement about around surrounding him, and uh, let's just hope he lives up to that hype and lives up to that excitement. Next up, we've got uh, Chris Myarick. I can never know how to say his name. I'm sorry. I apologise. I'm guessing it's Myarick. Uh, he, sp- he spent a month with uh, the Cincinnati Bengals practice squad during a postseason run to Super Bowl 56 at the beginning of this year, and he's now back with the team in his second stint. He's only ever caught three passes, uh, but one of those being a touchdown in Week 12 last year, and he signed to the Giants practice squad in September last year after the Dolphins let him go. But he was, dra- he was an undrafted free agent and signed with the Dolphins back in 2019. He ended up appearing in eight games as Carl uh, Rudolph and Caden Smith dealt with injuries. Myrick, do we reckon he'll make the team or do you think it'll be crap practice squad? I don't even remember him being on the team last season. I know that sounds really bad, but if he's come in for Kyle Rudolph and Caden Smith and I can't, I literally can't even remember him, uh, that doesn't really bode well without you know being harsh to Chris because I'm sure he's a good football player, much better than I will ever be. But I wouldn't be too upset if I didn't hear his name this season. Yeah, he's he's one of them. I just know his name more than anything else. Um, I think he's probably he's gonna be, uh, practice squad more than anything else. To be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, I think he's he's pretty much been practice squad throughout his whole career. Like I said, he's sort of caught. He's only caught ever caught three passes in the league, and all three of those were last year when he was filling in for injuries. Instantly about Carl Rudolph, he this week signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, replacing Rob Gronkowski. So uh, hope that he does well there with Tom Brady and and Cohen in Tampa. Um, good luck to him. Obviously, he only had the year with us. There was a, a a fair bit of expectation on his shoulders, and it just for whatever reason didn't work out with us. Um, so let's hope he has some success in Tampa Bay in the twilight of his career. He will get success. Just the way you need the joint, so you just seem to have a good season. Yeah, of course we will. Not to mention he's he's playing with the goat as well. So and he's playing in the sunshine, and he's probably going to enjoy life down there in Tampa. So he's 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 going to be successful. We know that for sure. Um, and lastly, three undrafted rookies bring the total in the tight end room to seven. Uh, we've got Austin Allen, we've got Andre Miller, and Jeremiah Hall. So Austin Allen came out of Nebraska. Uh, Andre Miller came out of Maine and uh, Jeremiah Hall came out of the University of Oklahoma. Um, Shane, you're probably going to know more about these these guys than any one of us. Um, do you know anything about them? And if so, what do you make of them? Again, I think um, I don't know much about Andre Miller. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, Austin Allen, you know, I think he could maybe be practice squad, maybe push Chris Morick for um, that practice spot position if we were to say to Instantana keep one tight end on the practice squad. And then Jeremiah Hall, he's a bit of a curious one. Um, he's not kind of a dedicated tight end. Um, I believe he's, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if he played fullback at university or the Giants have had him lining up there. Um, but obviously, you know, we let, his name escapes me. Elijah Penny. Elijah Penny, obviously, he was kind of our fullback when we won last year. So, um, to my reckoning, I don't believe we've got a recognised one on the squad or a designated one. So maybe he could maybe make his way into the 53 that way again if they do decide to go with a fullback. So he's just an intriguing one. I'm going to be interested to see sort of 
where he actually lines up during pre-season when he gets snaps, whether it be, you know, third or fourth quarter of a pre-season game. Yeah, I think the thing that stands out for me is that Austin Allen's six for eight. Now that that's what you call it. Six was it six eight and two fifty five. He he is a unit, isn't he? He is a unit. But no, he's he's uh, he's got some good numbers for um, Nebraska. Uh, set the record for most receptions in the season at thirty eight yards receiving six hundred and two. Uh, single game receiving yards one hundred forty three, and a hundred yard receiving games by a tight end of two. So he could be a surprise. If, you know, at the end of the day, he, he's probably more more likely to uh, to make practice squad, I reckon. Yeah, totally agree. I know that there's a lot of um, NFL media pundits and other uh, publications who like Austin Allen. I think a lot of people see um, Allen being somebody who could stick around for a, a few years. And if he was on the practice squad, there might even be a chance that he'll be poached by another team. So out of all of them, I think that's the name to watch for sure. You know, tight ends, we've got some depth there, some in some experience. Out of all of those, I think I'm just looking forward to seeing Dan Bellinger play, to be perfectly honest with you. I think all the rest, like, we've got some experience and we've got some depth, but I just want to see Dan Bellinger do what he can do. Moving on to uh, what we uh, what we know here at the Big Blue UK and Ireland podcast as uh, Shane's favourite subject. It's depression corner now. Yeah. Bye. Hugging off. <laughs> We're talking offensive line. No, you'd be right in thinking that the offensive line hasn't exactly been the strongest unit in the past the past few years. But under new head coach Brian Dable, new offensive coordinator Mike Kafka, and new offensive line coach Bobby Johnson, could we, for the first time in years, be looking at a solid line who can not just protect Daniel Jones, but make running lanes for Saquon Barkley and co? Could we be looking at that, guys? I think so. I think we have pieces there I, now don't get me wrong this is not going to be a top 10 offensive line it's not going to happen but if you compare that to last year we just need above average play that's all we need and i'd love to see an above average offensive line we've got plenty of rookies there it's a young offensive line especially um at both tackle positions but I think we could surprise a few teams. We just need them to gel. It's like deja vu. I feel like last year we sat here going, yeah, the old line's good. We're all right. We got Matt Pert. Matt Pert's going to be all right. Matt Pert couldn't even beat it in Nate Solder. You know what I mean? It's like deja vu all over again. Like Craig says, you know, you don't need a top 10, top five old line. You just need a decent old line. We've got a decent old line then things can happen and, you know, from there, Saquon can have a great season. You know, we, we last week we spoke about Saquon having a good season and Daniel having a good season. All that comes back to the trenches and the O-line. We need this old, we need this O-line to, to perform, basically. You know, yes, the, the, you know, I'm not expecting Evan, as great as Evan Neal, I think he's, as a prospect, he's going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. Let's look at Andrew Thomas's rookie season. It was pretty shit, in all honesty. For the first for the first offensive tackle taken off the board, he didn't perform like it. He had a great year last year and bounced back, which is what we wanted to see. But it just shows that, you know, offensive tackles, there is going to be teething issues. So I'm not expecting Evan Neal to have give up no sacks and no pressures or anything ridiculous. He's going to make mistakes. That's going to be part and parcel of it. Off the back of that, let's uh, let's get into each player individually. So, like, Andrew Thomas, we'll start off Andrew Thomas. He's one of only two players on the offensive line that are still on the offensive line from last year. You know, him, him, we've got, well, no, sorry, we've got him, Matt Pert and Shane Lemieux and Nick Gates. 
I think everyone else isn't really. Is there anyone else that left from last year out of those four? Ben, ben Bredesen. Oh, yeah, Ben Bredesen. Sorry. Sorry, Ben. I forgot you. So we've got a lot more new pieces on the offensive line. Andrew Thomas, like I said, his rookie year wasn't great, but his season last year was solid. Uh, he was rock solid for the Giants in last year. Even though he missed four games in the middle of the year, he only had 18 pressures and two sacks allowed in 13 games, which on our offensive line last year is is not is something that he can shout home about and he can he can pat himself on the back about because the rest of the offensive line last year was shocking. Matt Pert is still there, obviously. He played 150 offensive snaps last year, some each tackle spot, and because uh, Joe Judge obviously insisted on rotation, I think he got more snaps than he probably deserved. He had a few good games, but he had a few pretty awful ones as well. Other guys at left tackle, we've got uh, Devery Hamilton. Um, so Vegas, the Las Vegas Raiders signed him as an undrafted free agent last year, uh, but he stayed on their practice squad for only a month before being cut. The Giants signed him to the practice squad in October, but he never saw the field, never got obviously into the main team, onto the main squad, and saw the field. And they never, you know, because we never saw a reason to promote him to the active roster, even with all the injuries that we sustained as well. And then lastly, on at left tackle, we got Roy Embetica. Um So career to date doesn't really apply to him because he hasn't had one. He's a member of the uh, IPP, the International Player Pathway Program. Um, and he might just sort of be one of the most intriguing players currently on the roster. I think he's more of a developmental player than an immediate contributor. Um, it's very unlikely that he makes the team this year. Um, but obviously we've invested in him so far. So it indicates they'll probably carry him with at least the practice squad, I reckon. So left tackle, obviously, Andrew Thomas is the out-and-out number one starter there. Matt Pert will be number two behind him. And I think those two, and then the other, you know, Hamilton and Mbetica practice squad guys, I think that's pretty much where we're at with left tackle. Yeah, 100%. It's a lot of chat about Matt Pert and potentially Matt Gono, um, who we'll get into a, a bit later, potentially being swing tackles if necessary. So I think that one or two of them might end up being locks of the roster. But yeah, at left tackle, I don't think you're going to upset Andrew Thomas. And let's be honest, if he carries on the trajectory that he started off last year, we could look solid there for at least a good a good few more years. Yeah, man. And then obviously on the other side of things, like we said, we've got now got Evan Neal, right tackle. You know, like we, he's guaranteed to make mistakes. Um, he's a rookie. He's coming into the league. Um, yes, as one of the top prospects, you know, out of college, but he's he's not got the experience of, of the professional league, and he's 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 bound to make mistakes. But he was dominant in Alabama. He played both left guard and tackle. Started forty games over three seasons, and he was all Amer- first team All American in twenty twenty one. And there's no no surprise that we took him seventh overall. His size, his his hands, his feet, and and just everything that he can bring to the game and bring to our offensive line. And bring that strength and and power to the line that we we desperately need because let's face it, I mean, think who do we who do we even have at right tackle last year? I can't even remember off the top of my head. Is that where Nate played? Yeah, so Nate Solder. I mean, he's long gone, and and the fact that a, a big name like Nate Solder, you know, before before he came to the team, he was one of the best tackles in the league. Look at what look what happened to him since then. You know, the fact that he, that I. Can't even remember who was our right tackle last year. Just goes to show that how poor he was. So I think Evan Neal was definitely an upgrade on him. And obviously we've got Matt Gono as well. Played with uh, Atlanta in 2019-2020. Uh, missed all of last year because of shoulder surgery. Still only 25. 
Uh, he's played uh, right tackle for Atlanta in 2020. Played nine starts at left tackle, uh, 72 at left guard, and 36 at right guard. So he's pretty. He's got some experience across all positions online. But naturally, I think a, a right tackle and a, a New Jersey native as well. So I think he, he adds some experience and some depth to that right tackle position. He's got that good sort of rotational piece with uh, with Evan Neal. So I think right tackle is looking a lot more, a lot stronger, uh, and a lot better than what it was last year. And really, so could those edges be shored up, ensuring Daniel Jones is protected potentially? Yeah, we need it to be. I just echo what you what you guys said. You know, it's the players that you've mentioned, and that are, are going to be the key. Um, and you know, we, like I said, we, we need these. We need this whole line to perform uh, for for Jones, for Saquon, um, even so that the wide receivers have got time to get open as well, not just like you know quarterback and running back. So yeah, hopefully that you know they're going to be key. Evan Neal, I'm really intrigued to see. You know, he's a mammoth of a guy, as we've said. There's not much we've not said about Evan Neal kind of after we drafted him. Even you watch our draft reaction video, you know, we're all happy with the pick. So, you know, yeah, hopefully we've got two bookends now and I can stay here for the next 10 years. And, uh, you know, next time maybe we talk about a, a Giants great team, maybe these guys might be getting mentions. Yeah, absolutely. I think the big thing that you can take away from this, and this carries on when we're looking at the guards as well, is that the rookies that we've drafted have one thing in common, and that is a versatility at the positions on the O-line. Uh, as we've already said, Evan Neal played left guard, both tackle spots. Matt Gono, we just listed off an absolute number of different positions that he's played. I think that versatility might actually strike quite well because we're going to have different pieces when we look at the guards where it will be good if any of those went down where we can rotate and we can move other players in. Um, if anyone went down at the tackle, there is one of the guards who could even step in there to step into Thomas's shoes. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing how this line progresses, especially at those two tackle positions. Yeah, man. Moving on to guards, um, another rookie currently sits at number one on the depth chart ahead of Shane Lemuse. I mean, these are unofficial depth charts, but uh, Josh Azudu currently sits at number one on the left guard. Whether that's you know, whether that is the case or not remains to be seen, but the fact that he's already ahead of Shane Lemieux in some unofficial depth charts says a lot. And also with free agency pickup of um, Mark Lewinsky at right guard as well, it, it's got sort of got the makings of quite a healthy-looking offensive line. Left guard, like I said, we've got Azudu and we've got Shane Lemieux plus Josh Rivas as well. And then right guard, we've got Glowinski and Bredesen and Jamil Douglas as well, plus Marcus McKethan. So we've got some some good depth pieces at guard as well. Azudu, obviously we've spoken about him after we drafted him, coming out of North Carolina, played in best part of 1,300 snaps at left guard, so that sort of looks like his position. Uh, sometimes swap positions during drives as well, and he was sort of known as the everything guy at North Carolina. So... He looks like another really sort of exciting prospect coming out of draft and going into the offensive line. Shane Lemieux, you know, we talked about him last year. He's he's sort of one of those pieces that he's okay. He could be so much better, but he never seems to perform as as well as he potentially could. He never really got the sort of chance to make a leap similar to the one left tackle Andrew Thomas made from 2020 to 2021. So could that happen this year for Shane Lemieux? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because obviously Josh Azudu with Andrew Thomas not taking snaps, Azudu's been taking snaps at left tackle. So it kind of makes me wonder if Thomas has got any injury issues, what's the, what is the plan? 
Is it going to be Evan Neal kicking over to left tackle? Is it going to be Yazudu kicking to left tackle, which is what it looks like? But I, I personally think Shane Lemieux will start the season at left guard over Azudu. If, if Andrew Thomas is good to good day one, I think it'll be Thomas Lemieux uh, on that left side. Um, and to be honest, I, I kind of hope, hope he does. He's one of them players who, like, you kind of, you want him to take the next step. I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if this guy is someone we're going to be mentioning shortly, but he kind of reminds me a little bit of Nick Gates, where you know I want him to, I want him to do well. You know, you know, you want these kind of basically. I just want the Giants to be able to draft a player in the fifth round that actually works out, like because I just feel like that's never happened in the time I've been following the team. You know, you see the Browns drafted, uh, is it Wyatt Teller? I think he was undrafted free agent or like fifth, sixth, seventh round pickup, and he's one of the best guards now in the league, and it's like. Why can't the Giants have that kind of look? It just never seems to happen. Because we had someone named Dave Kettleman in charge last year and before that. But it's like Will Hernandez. You know, Will Hernandez has gone to Arizona. He's probably going to be one of the best guards in the league now. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. <laughs> this is what I meant earlier about with um, Rudolph. You know, he's left the Giants. He's going to go and do great. It'd just be nice for one of these, like, you know, mid to late round picks to actually pan out for us. It would be nice. But yeah, like, and I think. Now that now that Engram's left as well, going back to obviously talking about Titans. Now that Engram's gone to the Jags, is he going to have a breakout year for Jacksonville and beat and, and sign a really long contract with them and, and be the Titan of the future for them? More than likely. I don't know if anyone's seen the Twitter video that's been doing the rounds today, but um, oh yes, I have. Yes, I have. He dropped. Pass. He dropped. He dropped a very very easy non contested route. Yeah, awful. <laughs> he he he's been ruined on Twitter for it. Awful. And I mean, uh, it was literally, it, it was what, it, what maybe a, a two, three yard sort of, yeah, not even like, yeah, it was shocking. It was shocking. Just a little sort of like curl route and it was, it was awful. Absolutely awful. And how, how are, we, is, are you watching it now, Shane? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's the Evan Reno. There, there he is. He's 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 not been away for that long. <laughs> but anyway, going back to uh, going back to the offensive line, yeah, it's, it, it just would be nice for him for it to work out and and for us to have that sort of late round pick for it to work out for us. That never seems to happen, like Shane said. On the other side, uh, on the other side of centre, uh, we've got Glowinski, which I think is probably sort of low key one of our, our sort of best free agency pickups this year. He was solid for Indianapolis uh, over the last four years. Um, he sort of made that right guard spot his own, and I think he's he's. Nailed on number, you know, nailed on start at right guard going into the season, don't you guys think? Yeah, definitely. And Glowinski is the perfect example of what we need this whole line to be. Not great, just good. If, if it's good, we can we can work with good. And you know, I think that's what Glowinski is. You know, I do think we're ready to. He's not. He's not the. I don't think he's the answer. I don't think he's like. He wasn't like one of the top old line free agents, for example. You know, not we didn't have to beat loads of teams to his signature, but I imagine there was some teams that were interested. So for me, Glowinski is just what this old line needs to be. Not great, just good, serviceable, and just create time. He's obviously got a lot of experience as well. He was a full time starter at the Colts for the last four seasons, which is is some you know that's that's good to see. I know I'm going to go back to Solder now, but when Solder came over. Um, he had obviously been a mainstay at the Patriots, but I think Lewinsky's younger than him and obviously less injury prone. Yeah, and I think I think the fact that he only allowed two sacks last year of, of Phil Rivers as well is a good sign. I think Indy's Indy's offensive line has, has no, have notoriously been good offensive lines, and I think he's he's a, a, was a, a good piece of that, and it's now nice to see him 
um, coming over to join the team. Obviously, behind him, we're going to have Ben Bredesen, obviously, on the team last year. Uh, we sent the fourth-round pick to the Ravens in 2020 for him. And he's not really... He's done well as a run blocker, but he's, he's as as pass protector, playing pass protection, he's done pretty poorly. I think, like I said, I think Lewinsky's sort of uh, sort of nailed on start ahead of Bredesen, but Bredesen obviously is going to come in when uh, when we need that sort of depth piece. And then we have got Jamil Douglas, who was on the practice squad with Buffalo last year. Um, surprise, surprise, another link from Buffalo. Uh, and then Marcus McEthan, who obviously we picked up in the draft. Um, he was three year starter at right guard for North Carolina, and he only missed one game. So there's, we've got some depth at right guard. What do you make of the other three, other three guys apart from Gawinski? Yeah, again, Bredesen's just one of those guys who I, I just don't think he's going to cut it. You know, maybe. Can't remember. I can't remember if I've imagined this, and I might be chatting crap, which wouldn't be unusual. But like, I feel like Ben Bredesen is he taking some snaps at centre? I want to say yes. I think I think he has, but I'm not 100 sure. But yeah, you know, I don't, again, I, I think unless he's kind of going to be one of those guys that's versatile can play sort of like either guard position or centre I don't think he's got much to kind of offer Marcus McKeith and I think he's going to be kind of like a little bit of a development guy you know kind of see how he pans out during his rookie contract and see whether he can kind of you know maybe ideally you'd like Glowinski to be the right guard McKeith then to learn from him and then when Glowinski's a free agent McKeithen's ready to step in that would be the, the the dream scenario Following on from that that talk about Makita, I mean, he's a big boy as well, isn't he? It seems to be a running thing that Gettleman slammed on about all these hog mollies, yet Joe Shane's come in and he's picked up some absolute monsters in the draft where, you know, McKeithen is 6'6", 340, which makes Evan Neal the only person who's heavier and and Etika as the only one who's taller. So we've obviously seen this as a, as a good thing to have. I agree, though, with Bredesen. He's... He, he's not good. I mean, if you look at his PFF grades, he's an okay run blocker, but he is not a great pass protector. And we are going to need somebody as, you know, if if, if the rumours around the offence are true, Jones will probably be getting rid of the ball quite quickly, but we're still going to need people who are good pass blockers because I really don't want to see the sort of stuff we had to see last year. No, we do not. No, we do not. Lastly, on the offensive line, we're going to move on to centres, um, which we have currently have three. Uh, John Feliciano being the first, uh, another free agency pickup from, you guessed it, the Buffalo Bills, um, entered the 2021 season as their starting left guard, but since we go to centre, um, he's considerable experience playing every position on the offensive line, but he's only played two games at centre. But he is what the Giants need right now, a cheap and experienced player whose contract doesn't prevent us from making further investments. Max Garcia was a fourth-round pick out of Florida by the Broncos in 2015. Uh, spent four years with Denver and the last three with Arizona. Played in 93 games with 52 starts and also appeared in four playoff games. Uh, while left guard's been the position he's played in most often, he hasn't played full-time in that spot since 2017. And last but by no means least, uh, Nick Gates is the last of the only only five remaining members of the line from last year. However, he is still on the road to recovery following his horrendous leg break, which ended the season last year. Obviously, he's on the pup list now as it stands. But it, well, he was voted cap- team captain last year, and he's shown that he is well on his way to recovery and hopefully will be competing during camp at some stage. You know, it's, it's obviously a long road to recovery for him, and we wish him well, but it, it's good to see that he's still on the team. The fact that he was, the fact that he was voted as one of the team captains last year obviously says a lot about the guy. 
so I'm hoping he does make that full recovery and can be back to his best in the middle of our offensive line. Um, but I think start starter for for week one is is got to be Feliciano at centre, right? Yeah, I, I can't see any other alternative. Although I don't, I don't think Feliciano is going to be a great player. I think we're going to look. I think during the season we're going to be like, okay, we need an upgrade there. You know, I personally think it now, and I've not seen Feliciano take any snaps at centre. But I don't think that he's the answer at the centre. Max Garcia, I don't really know, kind of too much about him and then as you say like with Nick Gates you know he's, it's a real shame for Nick Gates I do I do genuinely hope he comes back and can continue to have a career in football you know he's one of them that you just like I mentioned earlier you just root for him you just want him to do well and I have seen videos of him moving and to be fair he's moving well he did, like you know he's not walking with a significant limp or anything so hopefully that's positive signs that you know he's going to be getting back um, and you know not just for football but life in general because I know there was talk about, about it you know that he might not even away from football, his life might not be the same again. Um, so, you know, more than anything else, as long as he can walk and move around, etc., football comes second. And if he can come back to football, then that'll be even better for us. Yeah, if any of our listeners have got a subscription to The Athletic, Dan Duggan had uh, an interview with Nick Gates on there, and it's, I highly recommend it as a read. It's, it's very, very good, uh, very emotive, and Nick does talk in length about everything that's happened since that. He does say in there, even with everything going well, he still has no idea whether he will ever step foot on the football field again. However, it is nice for us to still have him there on the depth chart and still with the squad. He's obviously a big personality, as we've already covered with him being voted as team captain. Feliciano is going to be our starting centre. Let's be honest, I can't see Max Garcia knocking him out of that position. I just hope that he can perform well enough. As you know, as Shane said, we might not think that he is going to be the answer at centre, but I guess with the team-friendly deal that we have with him, there's nothing that says that next season, with the cap space that we're going to have, that's the potential upgrade we need on the line because the rest of the line hopefully looks a lot better. Yeah, I think as 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 much as I like the pickup of Feliciano. As a free agent, I think he's the potential weak link on that line at the moment. You know, with the with the rookies we've got there, obviously there's gonna there's an experience, there's gonna be mistakes. But with with and Andrew Thomas hopefully going you know, going from strength to strength and, and improving on last year, hopefully the uh, the offense the rest of the offensive line looks good. But I, I do I do have a concern at the centre, I don't you know, is that gonna be the weak link on our, on the line? And it's it's such a pivotal role as well. Obviously, you know, Hand on the ball in the you know passing you know passing it back to the quarterback it's 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 a it's a huge role and I think the fact that Feliciano or and Garcia both are virtually inexperienced at the position um, when it comes to game time it is is a bit of a concern so I do hope that Nick Gates can get back to some sort of playing time this year but I'm not holding out too much hope for him so it's going to be interesting to see Feliciano playing centre and seeing what he's like. And seeing what his relationship with Dan Jones is like, because let's face it, Dan Jones is going to have his hand right up against his ass crack pretty much all year. So they've got to have a good working relationship. So it'll be interesting to see how it works. That completes our breakdown of the roster on the offensive side of things. Uh, coming up over the next two weeks, we're going to dive deep into the defensive roster with the defensive line and our linebackers coming under scrutiny next week. That just leaves us to pick the latest members of the Big Blue UK and Ireland team of the 21st century. 
Last week we picked our quarterback, Anidar Manning, our running backs in Tiki Barber and Brandon Jacobs, and our wide receivers in Amani Tuma and Victor Cruz. Uh, this week it's the turn of the big guys, the men in the trenches, our offensive line. Uh, plus included will be our tight end as well. Uh, so we are going to start off at tight end. Uh, no, we haven't gone with Evan Engram. <laughs> He's not even an honourable mention in your honour this this time, Shane. <laughs> not even an honourable mention. Not even with 20 franchise-breaking stats. <laughs> no, just because his his reputation went down the toilet. And I, I think, yeah, yeah I, you know what, I'll give him an honourable mention. He 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 did have some he did have some franchise records and he set some league records as well and if he, if he carried on from his first two years over the last three years and he he probably would have been in the team maybe if not he would have been number two but the fact the last three years of of his time with the Giants he just tailed off and and it went down the toilet it meant that he didn't really get a look in there were a couple of others that that will get an honourable mention uh, Kevin Boss. Um, who was with the team for four years from 2007 to 2010 uh, and won Super Bowl 42 with the team. And Howard Cross as well. So he was with the team from the late 80s into into the 21st century. His last year with the team was in 2001 and he played a total of 207 games as a giant, uh, trading only Michael Strahan and Eli Manning. And he won the Super Bowl in 1990 with uh, the Giants in Super Bowl 25 when we beat the Bills 20-19. And he was the only player on both the 1990 and 2000 team uh, that obviously that lost in the Super Bowl to the Ravens. Making tight end on our team in the 21st century is Jeremy Shockey. Um, was with the team between 2002 to 2007. Uh, won Super Bowl 42 with the team and was voted first team All-Pro in 2002. Four-time Pro Bowler between 2002 and 2006 and also Rookie of the Year in 2002. He took the NFL by storm and became quickly one of the centrepieces of the Giants' offensive units. He was named to the Pro Bowl, and like I said, in the first four in four of his first five seasons, uh, apart from 2004. And though, although he wasn't on the field, he was still officially a Giant when they won the Super Bowl uh, against the, the Patriots in 2007. He was a great tight end. Um, he was exciting. He was electric, uh, and he made some unbelievable plays. And he was, he was you know, he was the, one of the first... Giants, I remember seeing when I when I sort of became a fan in that sort of mid to late two thousands. Um, one of the first players I sort of really got ex- excited about watching, um, along with players like Eli Manning, players like Amani Tuma, players like Plaxico Barris, who was with the team at the time. He, you know, they were he was on a solid team, and you know, he he, he brought a lot to that position. It was just a shame when he moved on. Uh, he moved on to the Saints, um, and then his sort of career sort of tailed off a bit, but. The best years of his career were definitely in blue in New York. Uh, so that is why Jeremy Shockey makes the team of the 21st century as tight end. Yeah, I, um, I didn't know much about Shockey. I, I knew of Jeremy Shockey, but didn't know too much before doing the research for this. And what a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Uh, you just have to look at the accolades that he's got. And he looked like Thor. What an absolute beautiful mane that man had. Yeah, it was uh, it's impressive, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I know that the reference that I have for it is just watching film, not actually being hooked into the emotions of the game at the time when he played. But is it safe to say he was a, the kind of star that Kittle and Gronkowski were now in back in the day? Yeah, like I said, the fact that he was Rookie of the Year in 2002 uh, and throughout the... 
the time he spent with the team, he was that sort of star tight end. He was one of the, the big the big name tight ends in the league. You know, he's sort of equivalent to, like you said, your Gronk, your Kittle, your your Travis Kelsey now. So he he was a he was a huge draw in the league, and he did he did so well for the team. And obviously, bearing in mind that he was part of the team when when Eli Manning came in in his rookie year, caught so many you know caught so many passes from Eli and. and he was just he was just a huge huge draw and a huge name on the on the on the offensive side of things and I think he's fully deserving of his of his place on the all time team. Moving on um, now, over the last twenty years, we've seen many offensive linemen come and go, from Nate Solder and Eric Flowers to Justin Pugh, Weston Richburg. You know, I could go on and on and on, but for me, there is one offensive line unit that stands out and is easily the best unit we've had in the last twenty years. Uh, and that is the the unit that won us that Super Bowl in 2007 against the New England Patriots um, with Kareem McKenzie at right tackle, Rich Soibert at right guard, Sean O'Hara at centre, Chris Sneed left guard and Dave Deal at left tackle. For three years, those five guys were the epitome of what an offensive line should be. Strong, dependable and good at protecting the quarterback and opening those holes in the opposing defence for Brandon Jacobs and Ahmad Bradshaw to run through. Chris Snee made the Pro Bowl in 2008 and Sean O'Hara as well. Chris Snee also made first team All-Pro in 2008 and in 2009 David Deal joined him on the plane to Hawaii as three Giants offensive linemen made the, first, made the Pro Bowl in 2009. They were all just absolute beasts on the offensive line uh, and they played a huge part in, in protecting Eli Manning to win um, Super Bowl 42, which was completely un- obviously completely unexpected at the time because everybody expected the uh, the Patriots to go 19-0. and Dave Deal, obviously one of the more accomplished fifth-round draft choices in, in Giants history. He was the 160th selection in 2003. He only missed 12 games in 11 years with the team. Um, he helped, obviously, the Giants to win the Super Bowl in 2007 and 2011 as well. And as I said, he was selected to the Pro Bowl in 2009. He was a team player. He still is a team player. You see him all over Giants socials all the time. And his hands are like absolute shovels. When was it? I think it was at one of, maybe at the Twickenham game. Um, I actually met Dave Deal and shook his hand and his hands were, I mean, my hands aren't small by any stretch of the imagination, but his were like twice the size of mine. His were like absolute shovels. But yeah, what a guy. Um, what a leader on the team as well. Kareem McKenzie, again, another leader, just epitomises what a, a right tackle should be. He joined uh, the two, at the beginning of the 2005 season as a free agent. Even though he got injured during that 2005 season, uh, he made an immediate impact at, at right tackle. And he helped Tiki Barber to rush for what was a franchise record of 1,800 yards at the time. And he was an integral part of the Super Bowl winning team again. Uh, Sean O'Hara, obviously who was married to uh, Tom Coughlin's daughter. Um, was that Sean O'Hara? Was that Chris Snee, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> sorry, my apologies. Sean O'Hara, again, like a centre, like just his relationship between him and Eli Madden was just, it was almost like telepathy. They were on the same page. All the time, um, the amount of um, drop snaps or or bad snaps or whatever, I, I I can't remember how many there were, but there were very very few. Um, he was just that solid starter at centre that you needed. You know, he he might not necessarily been uh, a Pro Bowl caliber player, but obviously he was named to Pro Bowl in two thousand and eight. He was named a starter in a Pro Bowl in two thousand and nine, and although although he was he didn't play in two thousand and ten in the Pro Bowl due to injury, he was named to that team as well. So three Pro Bowls in a row. Uh, is an absolute beast on the offensive line again, uh, and, and really fully deserving of his place in this team. Chris Snee, he's Tom Coughlin's daughter's husband. Again, on that line, 
in those between those years, just there's not really much else to say apart from he was an integral part of that line. He started 101 consecutive regular season games. How many offensive linemen nowadays can say they've done that? Not many. He started 141 regular season games in total, plus 11 postseason games as well. He was four-time Pro Bowler and All-Pro, like I said, and he was just another unit on that line and played for the team for a long time. And then lastly, Rich Seibert. Uh, so he joined the team back in 2001 and made an impression on the Giants. And in his second season, he started left guard for every game and he was a starter in all 16 games and four playoff games in 2007 as he won Super Bowl 42. That offensive line, the one of the best offensive line units I've seen ever, um, not just because I'm a Giants fan, but just because they were so solid and they all deserve their name. They all deserve their place on the list. Uh, Honourable mention does go to Will Beatty though. He took over from left tackle, took over left tackle from Dave Deal in 2011 and held the position all the way through to the end of the 2014 season. So honourable mention does go to him, but that offensive unit, those five guys, they make the team um, because, in my opinion, they're they're one of the best units I've seen for a long, long time. Obviously, that this is before even my watching of the Giants, so way before Shane's watching of the Giants. The funny thing is, though, is listening to Dan speak about the five men that we've just listed to go in there. It's funny that all of them have pretty much hit buzzwords that Shane's been asking for for our current O-line. So we had strong play, reliable, players that are playing over hundreds of games. And I think it was, yeah, David Deal, a fifth round draft choice in Giants history. That is exactly what we've literally just been saying. So I think, yeah, they're all well-deserving. Yeah, and like even though like like you know this is way before. I mean, like David Deal, he he signed for the Giants in two thousand and three. I was thirteen. American football was pansies wearing pads. You know that was what thirteen year old me thought of football back then. You know, you know, he was long before I was even interested slightly in the NFL, let alone a Giants fan. But um, you know, I mean, someone like Sean O'Hara, he's one of the guys I absolutely love watching and listening to like you know he's on GMFB at the minute and you know I just he, he, to me he's like an old lineman that's been there and done it and like you know he he talks and like I really I'm interested in what he's got to say etc and then he, even someone like Chris Snee I know the name like I, I wasn't a fan back then I still thought back in 2004 when he joined in 2013 when he left football was for pansies in pads um you know but I still know these names because you know I've I've learned it was I've like become a Giants Giants fan and sort of learning a little bit about the history. You know, I mean, I didn't watch football back in the eighties when I weren't even born. I know some people were alive in the eighties. I'm not one of them, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you still heard of the likes of Carl Banks and LT, etc. So you know that that although it's long before we were watching this football, you know, it's not like the names I've never I've never heard of before. There are names that are sort of like steeped in Giants history, especially in this 21st century. Yeah, absolutely. Like if, if you, if you're like Shane and you're a relatively new, new fan of the team, um, I fully recommend going back to watch, um, some of these guys play, watch the, watch back the 2007 season and you'll really see what these guys are made of. You really see what that offensive line was made of because they were a unit, they were a team and they worked together. That's, that's what an offensive line needs. They were strong. Like I said, they were strong, they were dependable and 
they protected the quarterback. They're a, a huge reason why we won, why we eventually won that Super Bowl against the against the New England Patriots back in 2007. So they all fully deserve their place on the uh, our team in the 21st century. Yeah, if you want to watch, is it um, what's the series the NFL do where they they recap a, a, a Super Bowl winning team season? Is it like a football life or America's team. America's team? That's it. So there's 100. There'll be a joint one, uh, 2007. I've not watched it myself, but you know I know about. I've watched various ones on Sky Sports when I've been working from home, etc. Um, so I've not sort of felt lucky to watch one of the Giants ones, but um, I'll certainly be looking into that as well myself. Yeah, so um, yeah, it's uh, America's game. Um, there is there definitely is a one from the 2007 season and from the 2011 season as well. If you haven't watched it, oh, I think I have watched the 2007 one because that was that was the um, first international game, and I remember. Um, talking about that because Eli got the touchdown, didn't he? He did. Yeah, one of his few rushing touchdowns. So I think that's the two thousand and uh, say two thousand and eleven was it? Uh, two thousand seven. No, the, the other one. Sorry. Oh, two thousand and eleven. Yeah. Yeah, it's the two thousand eleven one. I've not seen. I've seen the two thousand and seven one. Yeah. Though. So the O seven one doesn't feature any of the guys from the O line. It's uh, Eli, Michael Strahan, and Tom Coughlin. Um, but it's 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 well worth a watch, and you'll get to see what that offensive line was really like. Yeah, the two thousand and eleven one was uh, Eli, Justin Tuck, and Victor Cruz. And and Tom Coughlin as well. Victor, no, I've never heard of him. Get, get salsa dancing, mate. <laughs> yeah, no, America's game is absolutely worth watching. Um, fully recommend watching them. But yeah, if you, if you don't know, uh, like I said, if you don't know these guys on the offensive line, I, f- I fully recommend going back and watching some film on them because you'll really see what a true offensive line looks like, unlike the last few years of shite that we've seen. There you go. That makes up the offensive side of our team of the 21st century. Uh, would you have chosen anyone different? Let us know who do you have in the, your 21st century team in the usual ways on Twitter, on Facebook or via email. Uh, that is all we've got time for this week. Uh, as I said earlier, next time we'll bring you the breakdown of our defensive line and linebacker positions. Uh, and we'll also announce who's made their positions in the team of the 21st century. Anything to add before we go, guys? No, just just to start, you know, it's starting to ramp up now. Keep keep you on on our Twitter page. Various things will be coming out sort of over the coming weeks about things that we've got planned that we're going to be doing, etc. And uh, you know, most importantly, as always, like, rate, subscribe, review, share, retweet, whatever. Spam us, spam us on Twitter, on our DMs, whatever. They're always open, so. Uh, you know, keep that interaction with us. It's really going to ramp up from here on out. Yeah, you don't have to slide in. You can just, just, just come in. It's fine. Doors open all the time. I'm always on there. Got no issue with chatting to anyone. Any questions? Any mailbag questions? Whatever. Uh, we've had a few messages today from the Spanish New York Giants guys. Uh, we're hoping to meet up with them at London. I know they've got their tickets. So congratulations to them. So hopefully we'll bring something with them at some point, get them involved. But yeah, no, Twitter has been an absolute blast today. It's been really good. We didn't have any mailbag questions. There was one from somebody asking how we could get him two tickets. I think we answered that with maybe sign up to the ticket exchange on the New York Giants fans UK page. That's going to be your best way to do it. Congratulations to everybody who did get tickets. And if you didn't, you know, you're not dead and buried yet. There is still a chance. There's absolutely a chance. There's always a chance. There's probably there's probably chances all the way up to the weekend of the game. So there's going to be plenty more chance for you to get a ticket. It's not the end of the road for you yet. Um, but yeah, get in touch with us in the usual ways. Like we said, on Twitter, on the New York Giants Fans UK basic page. 
and also via email bigblueukirl at gmail.com leave us a review five stars would be amazing uh, send your questions in for our mailbag like I said we didn't really have any this week so send your questions in for our mailbag and we hope to open that up next time when Kev's back and fingers crossed that we're welcoming back and uh, bring his Irish charm back to the room my thanks as ever go to Shane and to Craig for joining me and to you the listeners for tuning in we are signing off until next time Go Giants <laughs>